Hi and welcome to Blue Pigment Podcast. This podcast is to help highlight the individuals that express themselves through creativity. I'm talking about audio forms of art such as poetry, music, singing, comedy or even storytelling. The podcast usually follows a format where I introduce you to an artist and their creative way of expressing themselves. We then move on to a few adverts which you may want to pay attention to because there could be a discount code in it for you. From there, the majority of the podcast is a discussion with a guest on a form of art and the way in which they express themselves through that creativity. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, please like, share and subscribe. Welcome back to Blue Pigment Podcast. I want to give a pre-warning for this episode as it contains graphic explanations of domestic abuse and anyone that suffers or had suffered from domestic abuse may be triggered by this episode. These graphic explanations will be starting soon with my first poem by Alexis Cassidy and the poem is called She Should Have Slit His Throat But Instead She Made Him Sandwiches. Once upon a time there was a girl, you can call her Havoc, for that is what she lived in. She dwelled in a tornado, a violent, screaming, possessive, demonic, glass-shattering tornado, with no end in sight. This is where she learned to survive. Her jaw is still clenched, though the storm is over. Clean up that fucking mess, the monster would scream over her battered and bleeding body, and she would gather up all her strength and get the broom and dustpan. On one occasion, he had gone into a rage and threw all of her figurines against the wall. They were the only connections she had to her life before him. Connections severed, all her belongings destroyed. When there was no more glass to break, he smashed her face, then forced her to walk over the broken glass in bare feet to retrieve cleaning equipment. She cleaned up the porcelain shards and dust with bleeding feet, trying not to care about her lost possessions. He smoked a bowl and watched her. And this was not even the worst day she had endured in the last two years. Sometimes, when he gave her a concussion, which happened often, she would lie on the floor overcome with the sudden urge to fall asleep, praying she would not wake up again. He was too cruel to allow her to die with a peaceful concussion. He forced her to stay awake every time. He gave her another brain injury. He loved to beat her in the face and head. Then he would apologize, blame his schizophrenia, and fuck her while telling her that she was worthless and about the much better lays he had had that week. Then he would come, never quickly enough, and fall asleep. She was afraid to move in bed lest she wake him up, and the tornado would start again. She was not allowed to get out of bed before him. She had to lie silently staring at the ceiling for hours sometimes, until he decided to get out of bed that day. She should have slit his throat, but instead she made him sandwiches. Whenever he caught her reading a book, he would tear it out of her hands and rip it up in front of her. He would rip up her poetry and artwork and tell her how untalented and stupid she was. He allowed her no escape, not even in her own imagination. She was allowed drugs, however, and this made an excellent escape. One night they had been strung out on Adderall for three days, and the police began pounding on the door. Havoc's mother had sent them to rescue her. The monster forced her to hide in the bathtub for hours, even after the pounding stopped. He was paranoid that they were staking out the apartment. When she was allowed to come out of the bathtub, he warned her not to make a fucking sound. She knocked over a chair, causing a loud crash. Of course, the cops were long gone. They had better things to do than rescue a 19-year-old drug addict from her hell. The monster pushed her to her knees in front of him and began to rain blow after blow to each of her eyes. He cocked back his arms as far as they would go and punched her over and over again, left right Aleo. If she began to fall over, he would force her back to her knees. This continued until she was knocked unconscious. She woke up the next day on the kitchen floor, surrounded by broken glass once again and unable to open her eyes. 
He smoked a bowl and watched her. I guess you're up. Now go make me a sandwich. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Blue Pigment Podcast. If you want to become a patron of this show, please go to patreon.com forward slash blue pigment. You will be helping me help the talent that I find along the way. Not only that, the podcast is an advocate for mental health and the positive message in which we want to send about mental health. So if you are a bit about that and you want to jump on board, then please become a patron at patreon.com forward slash blue pigment. Blue Pigment Podcast is sponsored by Huskarl. Go to huskarl.co.uk and use the discount code BLUEPIGMENT for 15% off. Get yourself some t-shirts, stickers, baseball caps, hoodies, printouts and many more products from Huskarl. Blue Pigment Podcast, sponsored by Huskarl. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Blue Pink Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Alexis Cassidy. Uh, she is a poet and hopefully wants to become an, uh, an author of a poetry book, which she's currently working on um, with a, a range of poets from the US to the UK and hopefully uh, some other nations as well. Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, an advocate for uh, domestic abuse survivors. Um, so, Alexis, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So um, talk to us about the, you know, your life. I know that you used to be part of the U.S. Navy. Um, so I was stateside for my whole enlistment um, and I uh, was greenside Navy. So that means that I um, was stationed with the Marine Corps. Uh, my brother was an infantry Marine. And so I wanted to join the, the military and be stationed near him. Um, he deployed to Iraq two times, um, and I was actually stationed on his base so that I could be there um, when he deployed and when he came back both times. So oh, he was actually uh, on his first deployment to Iraq um, when I was in boot camp, and he was sending me letters to encourage me. <laughs> uh, that's nice. It's good that you had that uh, support to go through training. You know, training's never easy. They push you to your limits. Uh, is, is that something that you've carried on with your life, like keep pushing yourself? Um, yeah, so I just love to be a student. And so when I find something that I'm passionate about, um, I'm just all in. So um, I actually have overcome alcohol and drug addiction. Um, and I use, I found exercise and jujitsu um, is the thing that helped me to overcome those things and, and to be able to stay sober and um, kind of deal with my post-traumatic stress in a healthy way. Um, so I've been clean and sober for 10 years. Um, I actually got went to rehab after the Navy um, and went through about, um, I also went through military sexual trauma in the Navy. Um, and so I had pretty bad post-traumatic stress when I got out um, and went back to drugs and alcohol. Um, I had, I had sort of joined the military trying to get away from my drug addiction and the domestic abuse. Um, and so the Navy helped me with that. But then after my military sexual trauma, I went back to my addiction. And so 
Um, I was homeless for a while and um, addicted again. Um, and finally went to rehab after six months of being homeless. And uh, once I got clean and sober, um, I, I hadn't, I did not know about post-traumatic stress other than uh, being from a war zone. So I, I had never been to combat, so I didn't realize that I had post-traumatic stress. And um, what happens on the, the jujitsu mats for me is that um, when we're practicing, um, anxiety comes up and kind of memories will come back that I have hidden or haven't dealt with. Um, and then I'll go home and write about it. Um, so I have a poem about uh, my anxiety attacks on the jujitsu mats. And so the thing like jujitsu is very healing for post-traumatic stress. Um, and that's um, the book that I'm making now is raising money to um, give jujitsu scholarships to combat disabled vets. Um, and I, I fully believe in the power of jujitsu and the healing um, that can come from, from being in that community, um, from the power of touch, um, from being in a family that cares about you. And, um, but it does bring up things for me when you're being manhandled and choked. And um, mostly I've been able to fight, to learn how to fight my own anxiety, um, which I have um, overcome a lot of my, my PTS symptoms, um, but anxiety has been one that has not gone away. And um, I have OCD, so um, obsessive thoughts are something that I really have to fight every day. And so, um, Jiu-jitsu gives me a way to practice being mindful because if if I'm focusing on an OCD thought, I'm not in the moment and I'm going to get choked out. <laughs> so it's helping me. It's helping me with all kinds of things. And then when it does bring something up that's not a pleasant memory, I just go and write about it. And then so it, it's kind of like a whole healing process for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So I suppose the uh, thing with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is there's it's a community it's looking after your physical health as in its actual physical work um and you have to stay focused because if you don't stay focused then the other person's going to get the better of you um I, and like you said about you know the, the memories that might pop up um the bad memories you, uh, even when they pop up you've got another mechanism which is to to write it down and to express yourself and to get those thoughts and feelings that are in your head and put them out, you know, outside of your head and onto, onto paper. Uh, and I know I've listened to your poem and if you don't mind, I'd love to put that poem at the beginning of this episode. Uh, the one that you sent to me recently, it kind of helps develop the story of, uh, of what we're talking about here. And when I first listened to that poem, I was like, this is hard to listen to. This is deep. And it's, you know, there's, there's absolutely no surprise whatsoever that someone, if somebody was to go through that, they wouldn't have, you know, they, they would have uh, PTSD because, uh, and when I say domestic abuse survivor, that's what you are. You're, you're a survivor and not only a survivor, now you're a thriver because you're <laughs> encouraging other people to to do what you've done you're encouraging other people to to wear their hearts on a sleeve and talk about ptsd to talk about domestic abuse um because the more we talk about the th these things the more normalized it is to talk about it and the more normal it is to stand against it and to stick up and to be there for each other 
so yeah your your uh, community spirit is not just in you know on on social media it's, it's, it's across the world it's in Brazilian jiu-jitsu that community it's in the it's on the internet and that community it's in poetry community so you're doing a, a fantastic thing uh, with, with bringing all these people together well done thank you very much uh, at um, the end at the end of your instagram you've got like it says uh, your cool project slash cat lady oh yes um my cat is up here sleeping <laughs> her okay. name is that's vandal savage oh uh, okay yeah. I, I i in my head i was like cat lady what like from batman <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's what i envisioned cat lady from batman <laughs> um so uh I'd like to focus on the domestic abuse stuff because I think that'd be more beneficial. You know, the, the PTSD that you probably would have acquired from domestic mm -hmm. abuse and, and your journey uh, through, through that, if you're happy to talk about it. I know in England and Wales, there are 2.3 million adults between the ages of 16 and, and 74 that, that suffer from or that have, have experienced domestic abuse. And the percentage of those that actually gets taken seriously by the police and are brought to justice is such a small percentage because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, people not speaking up, people afraid to speak up, people speaking up and not being taken taken seriously. What was your what was your journey like through that terrible time? Um, I found that people don't like to look at things that make them uncomfortable. Um, in real life, we like to watch it on TV and, and think that it's make-believe, but um, I, when I was in that situation, um, a lot of people um, would see me with giant black eyes, almost swollen shut, and they would just walk past as if it was nothing. Um, and I think that it made them too uncomfortable. They didn't know what to do about it, so they did nothing. Um, and. I know that um, the police often have their hands tied because uh, we as women won't come forward to press charges against the men that we think we love. They, um, they sort of brainwash you to that the police are bad, don't get me in trouble, you can't say anything um, because what am I gonna do if I go to jail and it'll be all your fault? And we believe those things. Um, and so I remember we got pulled over one time by the police and I had a black eye and the, the cop took me out of the car and said, um, what happened to your eye? You can tell me. But I was so scared even um, away from the car. And I had been so ingrained that the police were bad and that he loved me that I just said, this is none of your business, um, pig. <laughs> so <laughs> I just got back in the car and he couldn't do anything. He knew that I was being abused, but um, I wouldn't tell on the person. So um, there's that piece that, that you have to overcome. Uh, both of my parents tried to save me from the situation and I sent them both away um, and told them they needed to mind their own business and that um, nothing was going on, that they were crazy. And there's really, uh, when you love somebody that's in the situation, your hands are tied sometimes. Um, you can't just go and kidnap them. If they're over 18, the police can't do anything. And so the thing that helped me to work towards escaping. Um, it took, I was 16 when I fell in love with this person and I was almost 21 years old when I left him. Um, but over the years, many people 
reached out to me and showed kindness to me and they just said something hey this isn't right what you're going through um are you covering bruises with that sweater just having people speak the truth into your life um makes a difference and it adds up and my grandmother would send me cards in the mail I wasn't allowed to speak with my family um, but my grandmother would send a card every month and it had a, a scripture verse on it and it would just say I'm praying for you and I love you um I wish you would call and I would just read them and throw them away but now that I look back on it I I see those as um these little candles were being lit um to show um, I guess to open up my world and open up my darkness. And so saying something, even if the person doesn't get out of the situation, calling the police as many times as you have to, even if they deny it and, and nothing comes of that, those things do make a difference um, more than averting your eyes and just walking past. Um, that's, uh, that's a great message to send. You know, like if you see, you know, if you see something that looks out of place, raise it you know i'm not talking about the person that's in the situation i'm talking about the person that might view the situation and if they don't if you don't first succeed with the police you have to be persistent and continue you have to get under their skin you have to annoy them until the point where they're like all right we're just going to have to do something about this and then that's hopefully when you know interdiction will happen and and that will stop but um so you say sometimes the police's hands are tied especially when the, the the person being abused has been brainwashed into thinking that you know bad things are going to happen if if i don't um especially when uh, you know drugs and alcohol are involved you, you're not thinking straight and somebody's doing the thinking for you i guess and and it's not what's best for you it's what they want in out of that situation uh so uh, yeah that's an awful thing for you to have gone through uh, what was the turning moment that was like I need to get out of here. And how did you do it? Um, so, um, I one of the messages I got from my grandmother um, was that uh, my brother was graduating Marine Corps boot camp, and I hadn't seen my brother since I was um, sixteen. I hadn't seen any of my family, and um, my brother is one year younger than me. And I had missed his high school graduation because um, the monster wouldn't let me go visit my family. But when he was graduating Marine Corps boot camp, something in my brain, I didn't know much about the military, um, but 9-11 had happened pretty recently um, before this. And that really opened my eyes to, there are bigger things happening in the world than just my little life with this abuse that I'm facing. Um, just me and this person. Um, so that kind of awoke my eyes to bigger things happening in the world, but I still didn't do anything about it until um, it was somebody that I cared about going to war. <laughs> so um, I found out that my brother was graduating Marine Corps boot camp. And so I, uh, I asked the monster, can I go to California to see my brother graduate Marine Corps boot camp? And Sometimes he would be, um, if, I, if I got him stoned enough, so if we had enough marijuana and I could just keep him very, very high, his temper um, would be better and he would be more um, pliable, I guess. So I prayed for a lot of marijuana because we were a dry, 
we were dry, dry at that time. We couldn't find anything. We were living in Wisconsin and um, there were still, it was still very, very illegal everywhere to be smoking pot. So you couldn't always find anything um, to smoke. And so I prayed, um, please, I want to go to this Marine Corps boot camp. And I wasn't uh, religious, but there was nobody else I had to talk to except God. And I was hoping that he was listening. I wasn't sure. Um, but he said, please let me have enough marijuana to get me to my brother's um, graduation. And so we've, we got a pound of weed after that. And then, so I just kept getting him high. And after he was really, really high, I said, um, hey, can I please go to this graduation? It's really important to me. And he actually said yes. And that was the first time he'd let me go anywhere by myself without him. And so um, I got a plane ticket and flew to California to San Diego to uh, see my brother graduate boot camp. And I was probably about 90 pounds. Um, I'd been uh, addicted to drugs for several years and being abused for several years. But I think that I hit it really well. Um, my family didn't know what I'd been going through when I saw them at that graduation. And just seeing my brother graduate as a Marine woke something in my heart and I, I just couldn't um, be in that um, prison anymore. And so when I left um, that graduation, um, I got back home to Wisconsin and I said, I still had my little suitcase packed and I said, I still wasn't thinking about leaving him. I still loved him and I wanted it to work, but I told him, I don't want you to hit me anymore. If you ever hit me again, I'm leaving. And he said, oh no, I would never. <laughs> of course, I, I love you. And so the next morning I woke up and sat up in bed and he just woke up and punched me in the face and knocked me out of the bed. And so I grabbed my little suitcase and I ran to the door um, and he started chasing me and tried to close the door before me, but I actually, I got out and um, I had a friend that uh, one of those people that just were lighting candles for me along the way. Um, she lived down the road and she had told me, if you ever need help, um, I know you're being abused and I wouldn't admit it to her, but she knew the signs. She said, here's my address and just come anytime. And so I, she happened to be just two blocks away. And so I ran with my little suitcase to her house and he was driving after me, trying to hit me. Um, and I made it to her house and I pounded on the door and he was outside screaming for me to come out and she let me call my dad. And so my dad was in Missouri and I said, dad, it's not working out here. Can I please um, come and live with you? And he told me yes, but I, um, I said, well, I don't want to leave now because it's almost Christmas. So um, send me a ticket and I'll come after, after Christmas. I'll move, I'll move in with you and I'm going to leave him after Christmas. And um, something still didn't, wasn't allowing me to go. So I just made an excuse that I, I need to stay through Christmas. It's not a good time to leave someone. And so my dad sent me a, a bus ticket um, and he sent it, I think he sent a two-way bus ticket. So he was pretty smart um, because I needed him to think that I was coming back or he wouldn't have let me go. And so um, I kept him really high for those two weeks. And um, the, the morning of my, that my bus was leaving came and I told him, hey, I came back from California. I'm gonna come back from this trip too. I just wanna go see my dad. And so um, he was driving me to the bus stop and it was um, the middle of winter in Wisconsin. So there was snow everywhere and it was very cold and dark. 
and he said that the voices in his head were telling him to crash the car into a wall and kill me so that I couldn't leave him. And I just said, but I promise I'm coming back. See, my ticket is two ways. And um, he believed me and he said, fine, I guess I'll let you go. And so I, we pulled into the bus stop um, and I just remember that this fear um, that was filled my body like concrete and I couldn't move and I couldn't get out of the car. And I um, didn't think that I could live without him because he had told me you're worthless, you're stupid, nobody else will ever want you. Um, you're lucky to have me. Um, you deserve all of this. And that's what I still believed. Um, but I had to get to my brother. And that's, my brother um, became more important to me than what the monster was saying about me. And so um, I just said a little prayer in my head. God, please, if you're there and if you want me to leave him, I need you to take away this fear. And I felt um, this light come from the top of my head to melt all the way down to my toes. And it made me warm inside and it lit up my whole body. And I, the fear was gone and I was able to get out of the car. Um, and I had been cemented to that car seat, I couldn't move. And so I got out and I, I said goodbye to him and I got on the bus and then um, I rode to Missouri. Um, I was very scared, I had no voice, um, I couldn't, I hadn't even been allowed to make eye contact with a man. So um, one time I was giving money for gas at a, a gas station and he was watching me from the gas pumps and my fingers accidentally touched the man's hand uh, as he was giving me change. So I slid the money across the counter so that I wouldn't touch him. And I was looking at the counter so that I wouldn't be accused of flirting. And the man's fingertips touched me and then I got beat up in the car um, for flirting. And so um, he would float, throw food on me, um, soda, um, beat me in the car and force me to walk behind him. Um, he wouldn't let me wash the food out of my hair, um, make me go in public like that. And so I was just very scared and I had no, I was just a shut, like a rag, a rag doll walking around. So I made it to um, Missouri where my dad was. And then um, I was probably there for a few months. And my brother, uh, I found out that my brother was going to Iraq for the first time. And so I went to Chicago to my mother's house to visit him uh, while he was on leave before he was going there. And when he went back to California to deploy, I just said, um, I can't let him go to Iraq by himself. So I went to the recruiter's office the next day and joined the Navy. Um, and then two weeks later, uh, July 7th, 2004 was my 21st birthday. Then I was in boot camp. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, thank you very much for sharing that story. That is something, that is a, that is a story that is a, you know, an awful thing for you to go through. And, you know, you're not alone in that in that regards and there's plenty you know there's too many people that far too many people that have gone through a similar thing um and with you sharing your story i think that's such a brave thing to do not only the act of escaping this monster uh, the bravery of you know telling the story and the bravery of continuously telling the story and through poetry and through wearing your heart on your sleeve you're doing you know 
domestic abuse survivors or people that are going through domestic abuse, you're doing them a service by being a vocal um, ambassador of somebody that's been through it and somebody's experienced it and somebody who who you can relate. And hopefully, you know, after this this podcast goes out, I hope you know if it helps one person escape a situation that they don't deserve to be in because nobody deserves that nobody you know nobody deserves to be treated the way that you were and if it can help one person then we've both you know and because of you we've you could have saved somebody's life and you probably you probably already have saved somebody's life through the stories you're telling through the poetry you've probably saved somebody's life thank you (laughs) thank you thank you for listening no um oh man that was deep (laughs) that was very deep and i really feel for for you but i also feel for your family that knew what you was going through and the candle lighters that you said the people that were trying to show you the way um that may have felt out of out of power because of this the whole situation um and it eventually love prevailed and uh, you know by the sounds of it it was a love for your brother that it, that took you to make the, the call like i've got to make this call now i've got to make the decision to go and do whatever i can do to escape the situation yes. Oof, yeah, the other um the other side of the coin for my book project is it's your call so um many many people tried to reach out to me but i had to eventually make that call and follow through with the plan i had to make the decision on my own nobody could come in and get me out of it. Many people tried. And so it is your call, it's your responsibility. Um, it's not your fault what you're going through, but it's your responsibility to get out. And um, I used lies, I used trickery, I used um, marijuana, I used um, a two-way bus ticket when I was only going one way. Whatever I had to do to get out of there, I-, I Survival. Did. Yes. <laughs> Survival, that's what it is. You did what you had to do to survive. Yes. And, you know, there are other things that you could have done to survive that would probably have wound you up in jail. And, you know, you, you did what you had to do to, to, you know, to stop that happening and to, you know, to escape as well. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, I, I always think like if somebody's being like that, 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 that kind of person, that kind of, you know, the man that was doing that to you, they, I say man, but there's nothing there's nothing man with you know manly within a person that does something like that it's cowardice and it's wrong and it's completely you know to 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 give them a term of man is a just you know it's not a good thing you know they're not a man you know to to think that that's something that a man does is completely wrong um is there anything that you know about of his history that um led him to be that kind of that kind of monster Yes, his, um, there, and there are no excuses, um, but he had a lot of them. Um, but his father uh, domestic was violent against his mother, so he watched his father beat his mother his whole life. Um, he had schizophrenia. He had many different drug addictions. Um, but he also had, um, was offered therapy, he was offered medicine, he was offered a lot of things to help him get his mind back on track. And, and that's one reason that I stayed so long with him because he was a brilliant artist and I um, 
I fell for that creative side of him. And I, I saw that with the right medication, with the right help, he could be a functional person in society. And he, he didn't have to be this violent person um, because he wouldn't only beat me, he would beat himself. He would beat his head against a wall. He would rip off his clothes. He would rip out his hair. Um, when the, the schizophrenia was um, overtaking him, um, so he would normally beat himself pretty badly and then he would beat me until I was unconscious. And so he was pretty mentally ill, um, but there's a lot of people with mental illnesses that don't cause anyone harm and they take responsibility for it. Um, so I don't, I don't see that as a valid excuse. No, there is no, there is, there is no excuse, no excuse whatsoever for that sort of behavior. It's like I said, there are services out there, especially in you know Western society. There are services out there that if you have ish, an issue, you can get it sorted. And it doesn't need to mean that you take it out on somebody. Uh, yeah. yeah, like what you've, what you've done is, is, is very brave, very, very brave. Um, and hopefully you give justification to for other people to to be that brave and to to take a step away from that environment um when it comes to the poetry then and, and putting your experiences down onto paper in fact before before i go on with that um are you are you okay with what you've what you've shared yes yeah i'll just um i know you said you know before we start recording you wear your heart on your sleeve um you say that it is you feel that i suppose the expressing the messages is it's helpful not just to you but to others um but yeah so through the poetry and the message you express through that um do you have any particular uh, poetry that you'd like to read out today or that you'd like me to feature on the podcast um sure i have one that i wrote recently um kind of about my healing journey um, but I, I really believe that um, one of the models I live by is our secrets keep us sick. And so, um, especially with children that are abused, um, the things that the adults tell them and, and domestic abusers tell us is that you can't tell anyone this. And so their power is in us not speaking. Um, and that includes um, sexual abuse. All of this abuse, um, Victims are afraid to speak up and they feel shame. And um, so I, there's nothing that I'm afraid to talk about. And I think that that has given me great power over these people that have hurt me. Um, when I was silent, that's when my depression was the worst. That's when I, I was suicidal all the time. And when I began to speak about it, um, I took my power back. Um, there's nothing that they can do to me that I'm ashamed to talk about. So. I think our secrets keep us sick and that we need to start telling our secrets to each other and and in non-judgmental environments. Um, and so that it's okay to have mental illness. It's okay to be traumatized. It's okay to have, um, have had these horrible things happen to you and it's okay to talk about them and, and to have a community of people that are going to listen because all of us have something that we are ashamed to talk about. And, and I think that that's why the bad people seem to be um, winning because we are not talking about what they're doing. And so when we speak about what they've done to us, um, they grow less powerful and they are seen for the cowards that they are. 
and then I think that makes them scared. And so, and and the other learning jujitsu for victims is very important because um, the police can't always be there for you to save you, your father, your whoever um, you're depending on um, to save you in that moment that you need it. They're not always going to be there. And so we need victims to be scary and they need to be scared of us um, and to think twice before they attack us or try to hit us. Um, I recently tried dating again um, about six months ago. Um, I've been single for five years. I, I have no desire to have a boyfriend or date anyone at this time, um, but I decided to just get myself out there and try it again because um, our society is very adamant about, um, I'm 38 and so it's not normal to have never been married and not have kids. And, and so I felt that pressure from from society that I'm not doing things the, the normal way. And so I decided to start dating again and I met um, a man who began to show those signs of being an abuser within the first month I was with him. And my jujitsu community helped me to see that right away and the, the confidence that I have now, um, I just got rid of him so fast. And I wouldn't have been able to do that a few years ago before jujitsu. And so um, I, I recommend it for any woman, any child um, that's gone through those things. That's a brilliant, brilliant message. Uh, fantastic. Empowering women is, uh, you know, is what you're doing. So that's a, that's a cool, great message. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is, is a good community to, to be involved in. So, um, so you got a, a poem lined oh, yeah. up for us now? <laughs> <laughs> I went on a soapbox. <laughs> um, so this poem is called Sleeping Beauty's Castle. A callus has closed over the hole of creativity inside me. There is a deep well of stories which are churning and reaching up through the darkness to make their way out of the cold. The well where my stories are trapped lies deep within my heart and is encased by bricks and sandbags, brambles and brush. For darkness always leaves behind seeds and the weeds that grow therefrom are harder to forage through than the spell surrounding Sleeping Beauty's castle. This churning, this needing to break into my own scarred fortress, to let in air, light, and hope. This is the source of all my anxiety. I want to be seen, but I am scared to see myself. The self that went to sleep to hide from the endless years of beatings, angry words, and flying fists that penetrated deep, but not deep enough to wake the princess. At the bottom of the well, I built her. I just let her slumber and build thicker walls to keep from disturbing her peace. Now I feel she has been awakened, now that we are safe. There are no fists, no screams, no breaking glass. It is safe for her to emerge, and I want to tell her our story. But how do I get through the damn forest I grew to protect her? It has been said that the pen is mightier than the sword, and I must believe that is the tool for the job. I will tell my stories and clear away the brush with each telling. And with the final telling, I will reach her and offer her a crown jeweled with dignity and pearls. And I will apologize for the dents and tarnish that happened along the journey to reach her. The anxiety will cease. Out of the well will grow an oak of elaborate strength. It awakened with the princess. In its shade, she will find solace. From its leaves, she will heal the wounded around her. From its roots, she will find courage to stay awake and to face the future. And she will thank me for protecting her all this time. She will don the crown and dissipate into a million little pieces and everywhere she lands will grow an oak whose shade will provide peace so other princesses 
can come out of hiding and rule as queens. That is that is amazing. Well done. Like you could tell from the poetry, it just kind of starts off that it's like enclosed and imprisoned and entrapped, and there's all these things that have been built around to defend, you know, that that person or that that place, and then breaking those down and coming out of your shell. And then the way I saw that about planting the new trees is like the new, you know, spreading that message like we're, like we're doing now to hope that these other um, people will shoot up from there and and spread that message too yeah it's a really good and the, the way in which you're doing it using the sort of princess story is a uh, very artistic very creative good work um so wh whereabouts is the best place for people to find your work um so i have my poetry is on tiktok um, my art i'm working on collecting that to put it on it's on my Instagram, but it's sort of sporadic. Um, I haven't really, I've been sort of creating all of this poetry and artwork over the last few years and I haven't really shared it yet. So um, I guess just follow me on social media and <laughs> I'll put it on there at some point. What's, uh, what's your at uh, for Instagram and um, TikTok? Uh, my Instagram is Harley Kujitsu um, and my TikTok, I think it's also Harley Kujitsu. So I could put the um, the links to whatever you'd like me to put the links into for this um, episode. Uh, I just want to just make a point um, for anyone that's listening that may have been, you know, has a similar effect or similar um, situation that Alexis has been in. There are a number of different websites. I mentioned two now, but if you were to Google it, you'd find a lot more. Uh, Refuge.org.uk is one website and national dahelpline.org.uk da being obviously domestic abuse national dahelpline.org.uk uh, thank you very much for coming on today alexis i've really appreciated you sharing not only the story uh, and the poetry um, and, and your experiences and what you've done to you know better yourself and what you're doing to help other people as well um yeah any, anything else you want to add before uh call it a day um I would just like to say thank you for um, listening to my story and um, just keep lighting candles for people. Just be kind to them and love them. And um, you might be one of the people that helps them escape even if you never know. So most of the people that um, helped me along my journey of healing and escape and survival, I would never be able to tell them that they helped me. So the things that you're doing today, you might not see the fruit of it but but they do matter and i remember all those people that lit candles for me along my darkness and i wouldn't be alive today without them so um i try always to be kind to people to love them the best that i can and to light candles even if i don't see the results so. oh, thank you very much i really appreciate your uh, you coming on and i'll put all the links to your um, social media on the episode thanks okay, a lot thank alexis you so yeah thank you i really appreciate it the opinions or views expressed on this podcast are solely of my own or the guests and do not represent the opinions or views of anybody else or the Ministry of Defence. Shish kebab. Shawshank Redemption. Chicago! You're out of there!